Hello, everyone. Happy solstice. Welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is Josh, your host, and I'm very happy to have you here. So this is going to be my last episode of the 2022 uh, calendar year. We're taking from December 21st, the winter solstice day, we're taking that day off until January 9th. So look for new episodes in mid-January coming your way. But um, in the break, one of the things that Terry and I have put together is a solstice suite of practices. This is really a kind of a portfolio of our key or the key practices or the highlights of our practice and teaching of this year for our Sangha. This is a, a portfolio that we're, we're giving freely. It's, um, we're giving it based on the generosity of our membership, uh, our supporters and our, our students in the Sangha. Um, but we want to make this as, as available to as many people that are interested as possible. It covers uh, practices of yin yoga, qigong, uh, yin meditation, and how uh, these practices integrate theory and philosophy of Chinese medicine and Buddha Dharma. So if you would like 10 practices, it's actually quite, it's almost double that, but we have 10 days of practices. Sometimes there's one or two practices in each day. And um, if you'd like that suite of practices, please just go into the show notes and register for this free offering. Um, there's no timestamp on when you need to complete these practices by. You'll have lifetime access to them. And it's really our end of year seasonal gift to all of our members of our audience in the podcast, all the members of our Sangha, and anyone else in the yin yoga world or yin yoga community that's interested in what we're doing. So check that out. You'll get a really good taste of what we're up to in terms of practice, which is what it's really all about. And in this episode of the podcast today, I give you a, a more full-throated uh, explanation, articulation, and review of our portfolio of practice. So I hope you enjoy these practices. I hope you have a wonderful solstice season. As I say in the talk, this is the first real time that Terry and I are going to have off from work, not completely, but mostly unplugged most for about two weeks, and we're really looking forward to it, and I'm excited and, and, and can't really looking forward to coming back and uh, sharing all the ideas we have for the, the new year and um, really the new offerings of, of workshops and online continuing education with us around yin yoga, Chinese medicine, qigong, and meditation. So have a wonderful holiday season, happy solstice, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. I'll see you in 2023. All my best. Good to see you all. Uh, welcome to today's practice. Um, and so I think you're all aware we're about two days, just about, we are two days from the the longest night of the year in the Northern Hemisphere, the solstice. And um, before I get into kind of the theming of today's talk, I just want to say that schedule-wise, um, the solstice, the day of the solstice will be our last class of the year. So on the 21st, Wednesday, this Wednesday, I'll teach a yin class, and um, that will be the last class. And then Terry and I will be off from teaching uh, live until January 9th. So that's the whatever second Monday of January. So we'll start back on the 9th with a Dharma session then. And um, 
this is really uh, for us. We've been <laughs> waiting for this moment for for a while. In this, in a sense that we haven't. Um, we took time off in August. We were we were working fully through the website during that time and haven't really had downtime, uh, much needed downtime for uh, kind of a sense of renewal. But we will be getting that now, and we're very excited about that and and, and grateful that it's here. But in anticipation of the break um, and and really in review of our year together, um, one of the things that I, I know I wanted to mention today and, and, and convey is that um, all of you with your practice and support here um, have been a life jacket to us. Um, and I just want to try to convey that as sincerely as, sincerely as I can that um, your practice and your participation here has literally kept us afloat through some very, very challenging business, economic, transitional times, um, which you're all aware of. You're all living through it too. But uh, very grateful for your support. And um, and in appreciation, um, when we came towards the end of the year, we, we asked, kept asking ourselves, what, what can we do for you uh, as, a, as a kind of a, a gift of, of what we value most in our practice um, and that can support you in this time off. And so we hatched this idea of the Solstice Celebration Series, which is a, kind of a retrospective of the what we consider the highlights of our teaching over the last year. And I wanted to speak about what's in this series that I hope you all have gotten. Um, if you haven't gotten it, just go to the website under the events tab. You can subscribe, sign up for it for free, um, and please share it too. Uh, this is we're trying to extend our reach a little bit. So if you know anyone that might be interested in these practices, please share with them. Um, <clears throat> but in setting this up and in, in reviewing the year, we sort of came to this idea that we have we wanted to share with you our practice portfolio, <laughs> if you will, like the a portfolio of what we consider our core practices. And in reviewing that, I, I started to think that, you know, we really have three forms. We talk about forms of practice. And one form is the yin yoga, an embodied meditation, as you know. One form is qigong, another embodied form of meditation. And in, uh, our third form is sitting meditation. And within these three forms, there are two, I would say, uh, philosophical, ideological, cultural structures that inform, or, or we try to use these to, to primarily channel our expression of these forms of practice. And these structures are the structure of, and, and philosophy of Chinese medicine and the structure and philosophy of the Buddhist teachings known as the Buddha Dharma. And the way I look at it is these Chinese medicine and the Buddha Dharma are the, the yin and yang of a holistic form of medicine. And Chinese medicine is a standalone holistic form of medicine that integrates uh, health for the body, energy, psyche, spiritual dimensions of our being. 
Um, and the Buddha Dharma is often referred to, the, the Buddhist teachings is often referred to as a medicine for the heart or medicine for the heart-mind. And these two work really well together. Um, and what I particularly like about the Chinese medicine is it's the, it's the body, it, it emphasizes the body a bit more within the psychology and philosophy of, of meditation. So we have these two broad structures that we weave, that, or that we weave our forms of practice around. But the, the real, um, I think you probably have heard, if you saw your news, our newsletter that went out this morning already, while we have many forms of practice, like the, the Qigong, the yin yoga meditation, we speak to it that uh, we view it as that we have many, many forms, but one practice, or the phrase we use is one practice, many forms. And that one practice, could be articulated and expressed differently in different ways, but one way of uh, putting it into words would be that the one practice is the, the is the engagement and participation with the awakening of the body, energy, heart, and mind. And I put a dash between all those words because we tend to think of the body as being separate from the mind, the energy is separate from the body, the heart separate from the mind. We 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 are 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 left brain perception cuts these things up into little discrete separate bits but they're really just a, they're a continuum of a unity body energy heart mind are, are not separate they're a continuum of a unity so we're trying and, and i'm going to maybe speak to this a little bit more but uh now and then definitely when we come back we're trying to facilitate with you um, a dialogue, a dialogue of practice. And this gets into more of our philosophy of teaching. Um, some of you have commented on this before, you know, you say, oh, you guys are just like us. <laughs> you know, we're, we're wrestling with difficult relationships, difficult families, difficult issues in the world. Um, <clears throat> and and, and it, when I hear someone say something like that, Another part of what I hear is that we we aren't trying to elevate ourselves as um, as gurus of any sort. We're kind of anti-guru teachers. And I've been trying to say this in different ways for many, many years, that the more I have come to understand what we loosely call a functional approach to practice, where in which in a functional approach, the responsibility for one's practice shifts from the teacher telling students what to do to the student making wiser and better choices for what they do for themselves. So there's an emphasis of authority where in a, in a more top-down guru-based model, the, the, the teacher is the authority telling you guys what to do. And in the more collaborative facilitator model where we're uh, intending to align ourselves with we're here as friends supporting you to find out what decisions work best for you. And in the dialogue part, and this is the kind of the philosophy of this behind the Sangha, which is, I, I, I will admit, has become clearer, <laughs> or the, 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 my, my clarity on what we're up to here in the Sangha has become clearer the more we've done, we've practiced together. And this is now we're almost two and a half, almost two and a half years into a, a community here. 
Um, but what I mean by the dialogue is that, you know, Terry and I will share some reflections as I'm doing now, share some themes in classes. And then we want to li- give you time to, to practice with those reflections, to listen to those reflections and reflect on them within your practice, but then to create space so that you can share from your experience of what's happening for you. And in sharing from your experience, um, the way I look at who, those of you that are here is some of you are what I call consider serious practitioners. Like you're, you're, you're a serious enough practitioner to, to join a, a community like this. And some of you are teachers. You, you teach your own classes. And so we are, we are a collective in a way or a guild of practitioners, teachers in dialogue about practice and your reflections, your perspectives uh, fl- fill in, broaden, and, and, and widen both our understanding of the practice process and everybody else that's here attending and listening. So there, there really is this uh, very important and, and um, you know, just very important symbiosis between us. That your practice is the is the is the um, the the yang or the yin to our sharing, and and what you give us, what you share back with us, we do our very best to integrate and bring to uh, what we in turn share. So there's a cycle or a cyclical process or a dialectic. So we're a practice community focused on practice. Uh, and we're all supporting each other, learning how will we individually practice best or in a way that is most uh, aligned with our deepest intentions. So that's kind of an overview of, of our Sangha, which hopefully you know sounds familiar to you at this point, maybe puts this in, in clearer focus. But coming back to the one practice for a moment, the one practice of awakening body, energy, heart, and mind. If I were to um, put this into a nutshell, this, this awakening process into a nutshell, so nutshells are always going to be general, they're always going to be incomplete. But I, and I, I spoke about this in, in the recent Heart of Wisdom training, but when I think about awakening, To me, I recognize, I can see three broad interwoven developments or three braids of awakening. The first is not going to sound as much of a surprise to you, but the first is just waking up to dukkha. And that doesn't, you don't need to be in a sangha, you don't need to have a meditation practice, you don't have, need to have a yoga practice to wake up to pain of, of existence, the dukkha, or what Buddha, the Buddha called dukkha, which is really a broad term to refer to a whole array of various kinds of discontent, suffering, agitation, frustration sense of things aren't going well. So this is the first thing, and this is the first noble truth. We wake up to this fact. We wake up to this condition. 
And if that was all we woke up to, the, the, the path would be pretty bleak. There wouldn't be much. Um, I can't imagine many people taking to it. But the journey of awakening from waking up to this experience, and, and you know, I know for myself, this is, I was, I was aware of dukkha before I even knew what the term was. The term helped me understand it better. But when I started really meditating, um, particularly going on when I first encountered uh, a silent retreat experience, I was um, like ex exquisitely aware, <laughs> became exquisitely aware of dukkha. And it was, in a way, it was like the volume of dukkha turned way up when I started practice. It didn't diminish, it got louder. And I, I really felt like I wasn't doing something right. I, there was something like characterological about me or I had a character flaw that, or personality, psychological intolerance to practice. Something was wrong. But the more I practiced um, and stayed with it and the more I listened to the teaching, and I wouldn't have said this then, but looking back, I can see this now. The second phase of the awakening or the second uh, braid or the second thread of the awakening process um, involves waking out of dukkha. Wake up, we wake up out of it. And we've been exploring this throughout the year in many of our classes, but this is um, not a, like a, when, we, when I say wake out of it, wake up out of it, I don't mean we, you know, enter into some altered state in which normal sensory experiences are gone. So I don't mean like we, we, we attain some um, direct experience of a transcendent, like heavenly realm beyond outside of the, the, the ordinary experiences of our senses in this world. But what I mean by waking up out of it is that we, and this is what I saw, is that I, we let go enough of the kinds of internal patterns. We soften around those internal patterns that fuel unnecessary, the unnecessary forms of dukkha. And we can feel when we, when we soften or release ourselves from those internal patterns that fuel it, we can experience a very profound, <clears throat> a very profound sense of peace. And that peace is available right now. It's always here right now. But we, we, we wake up to it. We realize, okay, yes, there is the painful. There is the condition of discontent. But we also come to realize there is, a, there is um, the potential to live from a very balanced inner state of peace. And I think that is, I try to say that that is most accessible for folks, uh, at least for me, uh, within the yin yoga practice. When, whether it's at the end of a practice or in between poses, when you rest, on your back in a resonance pose, a rebound. You know, everything that was going on in the world prior to your yin practice is still there. But there's something about the resonance pose where the, the dynamics of 
adding fuel to dukkha go quiet or, or stop for a moment. And there's a, there's a profound recognition of peace, well-being, a contentment, equanimity. You can, these are just some general words to try to describe that experience. And I would say, I would say that a good chunk, good percentage of my own practice energy over my practice life was aiming to just get out of my dukkha, to try to get away from my dukkha, to put my dukkha to an end. Um, but the third braid or the third thread that I, I've really come to appreciate and which I try to emphasize more and more which is what I might describe as waking into, the process of waking into integration. And just in simple terms, going back to the idea of resonance pose, people often think, oh, I'm here for the shavasana. You know, the t-shirts that say that. I'm here for the shavasana. And people express frustration that when they, by the time they leave the yoga studio or go back into their normal day-to-day -day life, that the, the peace that they tasted in their practice slips away. And there's a sense that something was lost and that they had to go back and get it, get it again. And that's a, for me, that was a setup of trying to go back and get the peace that I thought I lost. So I would practice longer. I'd go on more retreats, became, you know, uh, retreats became kind of my lifestyle thing. I didn't go, I never took vacations. Whenever I had time off from work or time off from school i would go go back on retreat and i was chasing peace and what i was missing if i look back on my practice life what i was missing was how to integrate the knowledge of peace the experience of peace into my life and that's this waking into phase this waking into integration is I think what the Buddha was getting at in his Eightfold Path. How do we, in, how do we let the direct experience that we can taste of peace, how can we let that knowledge influence and inform our views and the development of our views, our intentions, the development of our intentions, our speech, our actions, our livelihood. <clears throat> and I, in reviewing the year, and in also, so in looking back, so one eye looking back and one eye looking forward to the next year, some of the ways that I've tried to speak to this integration process or waking into process one of the ways I've tried to speak to that is through becoming more aware of conditioning. And I would try to speak to my own conditioning at times, but to become more aware of our conditioning, how our consciousness has been conditioned. And I, as a rough estimate, I, I, I mentioned you know, natural selection as a conditioning factor for our consciousness. 
the culture we're born into, the time that we're born into, the kind of society that we're born into, the kinds of families we're born into. All of these things play out in terms of our conditioning. And I would say the more I become aware in this process of awakening, the more I start to see with kind of 2020 vision about what is alive in my own conditioning. What is what it's working within my conditioning and what's still dysfunctional slash uh, unskillful, sometimes even pathological in my condition. So in, in speaking about conditioning, which is another way of speaking about karma or conditionality, some of the themes that I've tried to touch on throughout the year involve personal conditioning, interpersonal conditioning, societal conditioning, and one that is, I would say, is implicit within the th- the, th- the, the the name even of our sangha, but which I haven't really spoken about yet, which is just our, our environmental conditioning, our relationship to our environment. <clears throat> so again, personal, interpersonal, societal, environmental, these can, these can sound like different, separate, discrete domains of life. But from a perspective of unity, of, from a perspective of really awakened perspective, these are not separate dimensions. These are all part of a continuum of who we are. We are individuals that go with our relationships, that go with our society, that go with our environment. We're not separate from these. And so in speaking about our conditioning, you know, uh, one of the things I hope to, to, to continue to explore with you in, in the new year is um, how we come to terms with what some psychologists may refer to as our shadow elements shadow elements that we have difficulty seeing ourselves, but um, uh, and kind of are repressed from our, our, our normal perception of ourselves and, and how we are in the world, and how we can integrate some of the shadow uh, aspects of ourselves so that we're not unconsciously continuing to perpetuate the kinds of dukkha that these energies will create for ourselves and others. So for me, and I know at some point this year, I and I'll, I'll be sharing a, a, the podcast on this talk, so you have that highlight in your so, solstice session. But for me, one of the things that uh, I I've been looking at this year is how my own conditioning in my family of origin was conditioned around dynamics of narcissism, and um, in a <laughs> in a Buddhist sense, I won't call myself a narcissist. Because that's to imply that I have fixed essential traits. But I can absolutely say I'm conditioned by narcissism. And I'm more on the, what I think some people call the low-grade end of that spectrum. But I've been seeing how much that has uh, shaped me and, and really created pain for myself and pain for others in my life. So that concludes the interpersonal side. And so, you know, in my, in my own writing this year, in my own notes, one of the things I have is an open chapter on the narcissization of consciousness. 
because I think our consciousness in its condition, when it gets conditioned, um, you know, is formed in a way, starts to see things in a way that it can't see, it can't see how it's seeing things. Or as one of my friends said, it's very difficult to see the label on the bottle when you're in the bottle. It's difficult to see the label on the bottle when you're in the bottle. Societally, another example of conditioning that I now really see us all being steeped in, as, as an example, is the, the conditioning of racialization and how our bodies, energies, perceptions are shaped by our culture, economics, politics of power. And um, in the kind of the shadow review of the year, I'll be sharing what I think of are really two of the, if I look back on the conversations that I had in the podcast, two of the most um, important and eye-opening conversations that I had on the show around racialization with Greg Thomas and Amiel Handelsmith. And these energies, these, this, these kinds of difficult conditioning, um, definitely express themselves globally in terms of, we can get into international relationships, but really uh, our relationship, our, our species relationship to the earth. And how we're we're really, as many people are saying, I've I've said from here from time to time, we're at a moment where our continuance as a species depends on our ability to grow out of painful relationships to the earth, painful relationships to each other, to start to see and understand each other better so that we don't annihilate ourselves with climate devastation and with full acknowledgement that that is underway, that process is underway, and a lot of pain is sure to come. I'll share more about this on on Wednesday's class, but... uh, some of you may have caught this uh, Netflix series. It's a bit controversial, apparently, called Apoc- uh, The Ancient Apocalypse or Ancient Apocalypse about this journalist who's not an archaeologist, but he's a science journalist who's <clears throat> gone around the world looking at ancient megalithic structures, ma- major a- megalithic tombs that are um, nine, ten thousand years old, nine, ten thousand years old found throughout the the globe. But one of the things that these ancient megalithic structures share, um, and it's worth mentioning that these structures were built prior, several thousand years prior, in some cases, prior to the invention of agriculture, the, the development of agriculture. And as a former student of anthropology, the old story we had was that Agriculture, the agricultural revolution was the birth of civilization. That, that, that 
that civilization flourished um, within the condition within the condition of agriculture. But these megalithic sites really raise a question around that because not only are these sites uh, architecturally baffling for their size and scope and the engineering involved to get those stones to come into place the way they are, the huge stones. There's also a tremendous amount of art and symbolism present in these sites. But one that really just raises the hair in the back of my neck is that a great majority of these sites are oriented to celestial patterns in the, in the, in the, in the sky, to the, to the alignment with the stars. And this raises the question, like, how did they have such precise knowledge to build these enormous sites to line up with, say, the light of the sun on the winter solstice? It's a major question. But the, it's the, I'm mentioning this because these, these sites, to me, speak to a, a culture or cultures that were in tune with the world and the galaxy or the solar system or the, the universe. And the awakening of the body, energy, heart, and mind is a process of tuning ourselves so that we as individuals can be in tune not just to our body, not just to our mind, not just to each other, not just to our world, but really to everything. And it's not that there's a, I'm not saying like, oh, when you get this, you know, you'll, you'll be able to, un like, uh, it's not like a, a light switch is, is what I'm trying to say. It's not like a light switch that goes on and suddenly we're in tune. But it's a, it's a way of living, a reflective way of living that invites asking that question, how are we in tune? And when we find ourselves out of tune or creating dukkha, how do we channel our energy, our life force, to participate in a process of honing towards greater in tune? So our, our, our awakening is not, is not just some isolated separate event within our own bag of skin but really in line with the, more of a bodhisattvic vow bodhisattvic vow of was well, the way it's expressed is they people who take the bodhisattvic vow the vow of the bodhisattva forego their own awakening for, uh, they, they delay their own awakening to support the awakening of all sentient beings first <laughs> But it's not an either or thing, in my opinion. You can't, you know, as my Burmese teacher said, you know, if, until you attain some degree of awakening, you can't be of service to anybody else because you're just in the same mud pit. You know, you, one person, if two people are in quicksand, one person has to get out and then get the stick in. Or like, like they say on the flight, you know, put attend to your own uh, mask first, your own oxygen mask first, and then help your 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 neighbor. So we're helping each other. And I, I, I hope the practices and the themes and the structure of the themes that Terry and I are sharing in our, in our sangha together 
are supporting you in that way. And um, I'm as as uh, as excited as I am about a, a few weeks off. I'm also really looking forward to coming back refreshed and diving into a deeper exploration of practice path integration, not just into our, our own individual day-to-day, but into our collective, societal, and environmental and, and um, aspects of ourselves. And I know what, I, what I'm very excited about is I know many of you are involved in that work already in your own individual lives. And I'm looking forward to the voices, your voices, your um, your experience, your your expertise, filling in the, the 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 you know the symphony of our practice together. So from our practice to yours, thank you. We'll have a, a sitting now for about 15 minutes, and we'll have some time for a reflection together. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's talk and reflections. I hope actually my review of our what I call our portfolio of practice, I hope this review deepens your understanding of how at least we think about the structure of practice. And, and in doing that, I hope uh, in, in understanding the structure of practice, I hope that you'll be able to utilize that structure to really creatively develop your own practice in a more nuanced, intelligent, and confident way. That's our hope. That's our mission in in our Sangha is to support practitioners and teachers to feel that that you're practicing with greater intelligence and more confidence. So if you like this suite of practices that I referred to, head over to the link in my show notes. It's under joshsummers.net forward slash events. Uh, even though the solstice is probably already come and gone, we'll be uh, still giving this, this suite of practices, um, the series of practices for free until the end of the year, December 31st. So please avail yourself of that. And until we connect again, please stay safe, keep practicing, stay strong. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Happy New Year. Happy Solstice. Happy Everyday Sublime. All my best.